Hello and welcome back to the last session of the new creation teaching series in which we are. This is session 13 and I entitled this session The Implications of the New Creation Mindset. And today we are going to discuss about five areas of our spiritual life, of, of our spiritual walk that will be affected or should be affected uh, by, uh, by the new creation mindset, by the new covenant mindset or New Testament mindset uh, versus Old Testament mindset. Because a lot of Christians, that is tragic, but a lot of Christians today, they still live, uh, they still walk their spiritual lives with an Old Testament mindset. And I want to give a few guidelines. It's not like a doctrine, but a few guidelines of how these areas of our spiritual life will or should be affected by a new creation mindset is that def uh, definitive it's not uh, it doesn't cover everything but just a few guidelines practical guidelines and these areas that i'll talk about are the prayer our prayer life uh, our worship life a life of worship uh, both personal and co uh, corporative fasting uh, reading the word and the area of giving let's begin first with the area of prayer and we, we will read first uh, a few passages, biblical passages, about four verses. And then I'll, expl I'll explain them a little bit while we uh, read them. And then I will come up with uh, a few conclusions that covers all these four verses. Let's read first John 14, verses 12 to 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than this he will do. Because I go to the Father. This is Jesus talking. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I want to mention two things in this passage. First of all, in verse 13, it says, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. The verb ask, uh, I, I looked into Greek and it means demand or request or command. So whatever you demand to happen in my name, whatever you request to happen, whatever you call into being, whatever you command in my name, that will I do. So it's not two things, three things I want to mention. So this was the first one about the verb ask. So the ask means demand, not so much prayer, like begging or imploring or um, uh, trying to please God. It's not that. Ask means demand. Uh, the second thing, look at the word whatever. This word, this word includes everything, whatever. I love, and I mentioned in a, in a previous session that I love how God uses words like always, everything, anyone, anytime, anywhere whatever, uh, things like that. Whatever includes everything. But what is this everything? Whatever includes everything that is revealed in the Bible and is included in our rights as a new creation. And in, in our rights, you cannot ask crazy things like angels to come down or to fly or to, I don't know, to do all. So whatever does, include, does not include everything that, that might come to your mind includes whatever is included in your inheritance, whatever is included in your rights as a new creation in Christ Jesus. Whatever Jesus said, Jesus did and Jesus showed us it was possible, like healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils, even uh, teleporting yourself, walking on water, uh, multiplying bread, these kind of things, supernatural things, but not any crazy thing that comes to your mind. So whatever... I believe with the with revelation that I have at this moment that whatever 
means everything that is included in our inheritance, in the testament, in the covenant with God as a new creation. So whatever you demand in my name, that will I do. And the third thing I want to mention here, you see in verse 14, it says, if you ask me anything in my name, again, you see here the word anything, whatever, anything. So the anything includes the same as I said about whatever. But here, look, it says something that almost doesn't make sense. If you ask me anything in my name, how does that work? Like uh, if I tell you, if you need something from me, you ask me in my name and I will give it to you. Does it make sense to you? Of course not. And in some translation like New King James and King James and uh, some other uh, biblical translation, the word me is not included. It's verse 14 reads like this. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And it makes sense because it comes, it's the same thing as verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, if you ask anything in my name without the word me, because it doesn't make sense. When I ask, uh, when I ask in, in somebody's name, that's a power of attorney. That means I don't ask the person, I don't ask you in your name, but I ask somebody else in your name. So I use your name to ask somebody else for something or demand something. So it's not asking Jesus in his name. It doesn't make any sense. It's demanding things to happen, anything that we want to happen, anything we want to request in his name, and then he will do it. Amen. So I wanted to clarify this. Uh, let's read the second passage, John 16, 23, 24. But before I go there, uh, notice that this passage, John, uh, the first passage for, uh, from John 14, verses 12 to 14, talks mainly about a kind of prayer that is uh, where, where we demand, we request, we command. And I will talk, I will talk about when we use this type of prayer, this type of uh, demanding. Let's move to the second passage, John 16, 23, 24. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be made full. So what day does Jesus talk? In that day, after he comes back from the dead. Uh, uh, you will ask the Father for anything in my name and he will give it to you. Here he talks about a, 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 about a type of prayer a little bit different, about asking the Father for anything in Jesus' name. He's not talking about demanding or requesting, but asking the Father for anything in Jesus' name and he will give it to us. Again, you see the word anything and that anything includes everything that is revealed in the, in the Bible as a right uh, uh, to ask as a new creation. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask. So you see these types of these two types of prayer: pray to God and ask, demand, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. They will be granted you. And the last one, Matthew ten eight. Notice what Jesus says: this, heal the sick. Don't pray for the sick. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, freely you receive, freely give. So I read all, uh, all these four passages and, uh, and now I want to say this, that there are mainly, maybe there are more, but there are mainly three types of prayer in the New Testament, in the new creation and the way we pray, three ways of prayer. One, the first one is a prayer uh, involving our relationship and love with God on the vertical, our relationship with the Father. We ask the Father for anything. We love the Father. We worship. So that's 
one type of prayer between us and God the Father, between us and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The second one is a prayer of building ourselves up in faith. And I'll, I'll talk about what, what does that involve. And the third type of prayer is one of war with the devil and darkness on the horizontal when we destroy the works of darkness. It's not, it's not basically a war because I said that we don't war directly with uh, the works of darkness. We, we fight the fight of faith, but we war in the sense that we use our faith to destroy the works of darkness. So the third type of prayer is a type of, is a one of war that involves mostly commands and demands and requests. The first type of prayer, prayer in relationship with God, can be a prayer of asking God for something or of pouring out our heart before Him. So when, when we ask God, I'll first talk about asking God for something and then about pouring out our heart. So when we ask God for something, we don't command Him to do it. We don't demand Him to do it, but we ask Him. We plead with Him. But when we ask for something and for the Father, we don't beg or implore God like in the Old Testament. When people would beg or implore or plead with God, Father, please intervene, please do this. But it's, it's a, in the New Testament, it's a little bit different. We don't try to convince God to give us something. We don't beg or implore. Why? Because now we have a right to ask. We are in His household. We are no longer foreigners. We are no longer in the kingdom of darkness where we had to plead for God's mercy. We didn't have a right because we were sinners and our sin were, was not paid yet. So God endured, over, overlooked those times before Christ and allowed people to still live on the earth while sinners, but we didn't have access to God, to the throne of God. We didn't have a right to ask the Father for anything. That's why the passage says, in that day, you will not question me in anything, but I, I say to you, if you ask the Father, because in that day after Jesus Christ is resurrected, you have a right to ask the Father for anything in my name. Because now you have my name. You don't come in your name. In the Old Testament, people had to fast, to humble themselves, to beg God, to plead for God's mercy because they didn't have any right. So God would, would bestow His mercy. Oh, okay, so now in the New Testament, we don't beg. We don't need to convince God to give us something. The way we ask, we just ask Him to give us that desired thing. And then we thank Him because He already wants to give it to us, right? That's what Jesus said. When you ask for anything, He will give it to you. It's already granted. Mark says, when, when you pray and ask, believe that you have received it and they will be granted to you. So you... You ask God with the faith that he has, already, he has already heard you and He wants to give you. And then you thank Him for hearing you and for having that thing. You immediately thank Him and you have an attitude of faith. You know you have the confidence to ask. You have the right to ask and you, you expect things to happen. So it's a little bit different from the, uh, the way people prayed in the Old Testament. And I'll give you another example in this area of uh, asking the Father. For instance... Revivals. In the Old Testament, revivals were very prominent. And even in our era after Christ, in the era of the church, there were a lot of revivals like movements of God. And, but mostly in the Old, these are Old Testament types of interventions from God. Why do I say that? Because in the Old, in the Old Testament, God will raise a man 
uh, a prominent person to save his people and the Holy Spirit would come down from time to time and would do that so they, especially in Judges we see that and then we see with the kings with the prophets prophet Samuel Ezekiel Isaiah there was always a man anointed and called by God to save his people to guide his people through kings prophets uh, judges Amen. Through leaders like Moses, Joshua, through the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But that is not the case anymore in the New Testament. Every believer is called and expected to walk and live in the fullness of God and the Spirit of the Spirit 24-7. So now we, it's not proper anymore to pray for revivals. Because revivals or begging like God God please intervene God or the the verse from Chronicle if we humble ourselves God will heal our land when we don't need to convince God and we don't need a revival like the ones that he did uh, so far even after his Jesus's resurrection when whenever God did those revivals he did them as an act of mercy and love for his people and because the church of God didn't have enough revelation of the gospel enough understanding of the gospel so he he poured out his spirit so that more people will be saved and and he would be he would bring a refreshment in the whole body of the church but that's not the uh, that's not the rule that's not the rule for God working on the earth the Christian is not called to to live for God and be effective only during revivals. Those revivals happened for a short time, for a short time period of time, and they didn't last. And they usually they don't last. But what do we do with the rest of our Christian lives? We can live a revival 24/7. If you understand who you are in Christ, God no longer works only with certain people and anoint certain people but he works with every believer who receives the gospel who receives abundance of grace believes it and then he can be used with the fullness of God God wants to walk expects every believer to walk in his fullness amen so the Christian is not called to live for God and be effective only during revivals amen I hear a lot of, and I understand where people come from because there were certain movements and they and they dream and they desire those movements of God where, where they feel exalted, where they, uh, they feel fired up, filled with the Holy Spirit. They see people coming to, uh, many people coming to salvation. And it's a great and exciting time. They're, those are exciting times. People are healed. The sick people are healed. But what I've been talking in this series is different. It's a different type of revival. It's a revival at the whole level of the church of God. And I, I, I believe, and I could even prophesy that the more we get, the closer we get to the end times, God will give more revelation to the church about the identity in Christ. And there will be a revival, but not the same in the same way as previous revivals in time. When God just came through a man or came for a time or in a certain region or just a certain country and people came to God. In the last times, in the end times, the whole church on the whole earth, believers will rise up in their identity and they will live a revival 24-7 wherever they are. They will heal the sick. They will tell the gospel with boldness. They will raise the dead. They will cast out. That's the life. We will be Christ. Jesus Christ died to multiply himself. Amen. The, the way he lived, now he wants the church, the whole church to live and to have multiple Christs. That's why it was a, a, a hidden wisdom of God. And that's why if the devil knew about this plan, he would not have killed the Lord of glory, says the Bible. Because now God sent more, more Christs on, on the earth, not just one. 
and the Holy Spirit is on the earth and the Holy Spirit can be anywhere anytime amen so that's the plan that's why I wanted to take time to talk about this thing about revivals we are still at the point about asking God for something and about the prayer relationship with God the type of request for which we can use this kind of prayer and address God like ask the Father for anything uh, are, are two th- two thing, at least two things, two categories. The first one are things that involve other people's wills. You cannot overthrow somebody's will. You cannot demand something or request something that involves another person's will. Both people that don't know Christ and people in Christ. Uh, the people have free choice and you cannot manipulate or control or command through prayer to people like uh, demand in Jesus name I demand you to do this or I demand that person to do that no when you want to influence somebody's uh, will or you want to intercede for something where you want desire for some person to come to salvation you ask the father in Jesus name for God to intervene for God to influence those persons and search their hearts by the Holy Spirit and the second category of things that I found is are things pertaining to our future and destiny that in things in which we don't know exactly from the Bible is not revealed the will of God the specific will uh, pertaining to that thing and for that reason you cannot call those things into being you cannot demand them to happen things like taking a job or not getting involved in a certain ministry going to a certain college or marrying a certain person things like that where you don't find in the bible uh, written you should do this or that it's not black and white so in those areas you need the leading of the holy spirit so those are some areas in which you ask the father to guide you and to show you his will regarding that that thing amen so these are a few things in which we ask the father in Jesus name uh, now I want to talk about pouring out your heart before God we use that mostly when we feel burdened with a sin where we want to talk to God or confess but not only but we we also cry when we feel overwhelmed and pressured with the with the things of life and you want you need a relief or you feel overwhelmed by the love of the father during a worship time so those pouring out your heart before God crying is not you can do that freely before God in this relationship with God we can do that freely because that's intimacy with our father with our God and we can do that without that without thinking that that is not necessarily a sign of unbelief because I I spoke so much about believing the truth and this kind of prayer like I feel this way and I father and crying before the father might seem as a sign of unbelief in the word and who Christ is in you and who you are in Christ but it's not why do I say that you can do that freely because even Jesus and it's not the only example even Jesus when he went in the uh, garden of Gethsemane before God he cried and sweat his sweat became blood he cried before God and he said father if it's possible take this cup from me but we know that this saying in this saying through this saying Jesus was not weak or in unbelief or in sin 
but he talked freely with the father. So you are free to do that whenever you feel like you need a relief, you need to pour out your heart before God. Do that without thinking that you are in unbelief. But don't stay too long and focus on your humanity, on who you are without Christ or who you were before Christ. Amen. And when you want to talk to God about a sin in your life, like confessing, Try not to focus for a long time on what uh, on you and what you did. You can cry and tell God about that, that you are sorry, that you didn't want to do that. Uh, feel free to do that. But then focus on God and thank Him for, for already taking away your sins completely. And definitely don't use your cry for sin as uh, to appease God or, or make penance for your sin or to receive forgiveness or to obtain forgiveness because that is already granted. It's already given. Uh, I want to make this balance. We can cry before God, but we have to make sure that we don't slide into things that are not biblical, that are not things of the new creation of faith, of grace. Amen. So that's pretty much about our prayer with God, the first type of prayer. The second type of prayer is the prayer of building yourself up in faith. And that kind of prayer includes mostly praying in tongues. You pray in the Spirit, you pray in tongues. And the Bible says in Jude 1.20, I think I'll read it in a, in a uh, short while. Building up yourselves in faith by praying in the Spirit. You build yourself up. So 80%, 90% of that kind of prayer is prayer in tongues. But it also includes declarations about yourself and your identity in Christ and proclamations with the purpose of renewing your mind and stirring up your spirit, building up yourself in faith, in boldness, master your confidence in Jesus, in, in, the, in the grace, in what Jesus Christ is in you. And this kind of declarations come from our person, personal meditation time and from personalizing the verses, what we've, did, what we've been doing in all sessions, like when we memorize verses, we personalize them and put it as the first person pronoun, singular, I am this, I was in this, Christ is in me, I am in Christ, things like that. And when you declare that and then you mix it with praying in tongues and then you declare things like, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away. The new has come. Ramah Ramah and you continue in tongues and then I am a king in the heavenly places. I have the glory of God in me. I can never be defeated. I, I am strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I will never lack anything. I, I, am, I live a death-free life. I live a sickness-free life. Sin does not have dominion over me. I am the light of the world. And you stir yourself up. You, and when you go from that prayer time, you can defeat anything. You are stirred up in your faith to face the world, to face, and you let the Holy Spirit come out of you. Through your words, when you speak, they have power, they have life, and they bless people or destroy works of darkness. Amen? The third type of prayer is the prayer in relationship with the devil and darkness. And here, the, this kind of prayer includes mostly commands and demands or requests, not prayers. The, like asking. You don't ask the devil, like, please, please go, go away, or sickness, please go away. No, you command, you demand sickness to go away. And this type of command or demands are targeted mostly against sickness, mostly against poverty, against evil things and situations, against lack, uh, things that we know for sure from the Bible that we have a right to command. So we, we have the right. First John 3 8 says that, that the Son of God has, ma has been manifested to destroy the works of darkness. And the Son of God is manifested through us 
in Christ to do the same thing, to destroy the works of darkness. If you notice, the, if you remember the Matthew 10, 8, the Jesus said, heal the sick, healing people, casting out demons, raising the dead, proclaiming prosperity. They are all demands and commands in Jesus' name and not so much prayer. We say to the mountain, we command to the mountain to move, right? We command the sickness to go. We command the dead to come out. You never see Jesus praying for the sick or the apostles. Whenever they went to heal people, they said, be healed. Your faith has made you well. Or come up, stand up, take your mat and go. So these are commands. They are a kind of prayer, but they are not exactly prayer. And these type of prayer we use or commands, demands, we use with things that uh, uh, pertaining to darkness especially. So when we demand, a lot of Christians think that we try to force God to do something. We don't force. Now knowing what we discussed so far in, in the whole teaching series, now you know why you can command. You don't force God to do something, but you receive the right to command and demand. And John 14 says, Jesus says, if you, whatever you demand in my name, I will do it. If you ask anything in my name, if you request anything in my name, I will do it. So you can be sure when you command that it's God's will to do it and it will be done. Amen. And one more thing about the prayer, because this is an important area of our spiritual life. Let's read three more passages about praying in tongues. First uh, Corinthians 14 verses 2, 4 and 15. Then Jude 1, 20 and Ephesians 6, 18. So first, first Corinthians 14 verses 2, 4 and 15. Paul says here, For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to man, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Notice a few things here. Verse 2. One who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, ministers to God, talks to God. For no one understands but in his spirit he speaks mysteries to God. Then verse 4 says, one who speaks in tongue not only speaks mysteries to God but edifies himself in faith. Not only his spirit but everything about it. And I will have a series, special series about praying in tongues uh, in the future. But edifies himself, builds himself up in prayer, not only speaks to God. And the third thing I want us to notice here, in verse 15, Paul says, I will pray with the Spirit, meaning in tongues, and I will pray with the mind also. Look where the also is. Praying with the mind means praying in our native language, in English, in Romanian, in whatever is your language. Praying with your understanding, with your mind. Paul says, I will pray with the Spirit and with the mind also. That means the prayer in the Spirit is the main prayer. And then I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the mind also. So you pray mostly in the Spirit, in tongues. You sing mostly. It's not, praying in tongues is not fillers. It's not just fillers for your prayer of understanding. That's what I heard uh, from, from somebody, from a teacher of the Bible. Praying in tongues is supposed to be the main bulk of our prayer time. Uh, and praying in tongues covers all those three types of prayer. When we pray to God, we pray in tongues because we pray mysteries to God. We worship God. We minister to God. And the Holy Spirit helps us to minister to God as He expects to. In, in the Spirit. Amen. 
And then the prayer for building yourself up. You, you, uh, verse 4 says, when you pray in tongues, you build yourself up. And also, uh, praying in tongues, it can be used for work. When the Holy Spirit issues words or decrees or things that affect the world of darkness. Uh, protection for people. And the Holy Spirit does all those things in the Spirit without us knowing. Let's read Jude 1.20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. It talks about praying in tongues. In Ephesians 6.18, with all prayer, and it talks about the, taking the full armor of God, and at the end of uh, taking the full armor of God, uh, talks about with all prayer and petitions, pray at all times in the Spirit. Look, look what Paul says, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So here Paul talks, and in, in Corinthians, he says that he prays in tongues more than them all. More than the whole church of Corinth and more than all believers. Can you imagine that? And he says, pray all at all times in the Spirit. That means not only when you have a private uh, devotional time, but whenever you go to work, you, go to, when you have a break, you, you drive, you pray in tongues, you pray in tongues, always. You, when you have a moment of break, you pray in tongues because the Holy Spirit prays for you and does things in the Spirit, both in you and, and outside of you, in your family. You don't even know for what you're praying, but the Holy Spirit knows what to pray and you advance in godliness, you advance the kingdom. You basically do a ministry for God when you pray in tongues because the Holy Spirit is free to be relieved. We have the authority and domain on this earth. God cannot work without us. He has to work through us. He worked through the prophets. He spoke things in the Old Testament. So he worked, he works through us. So Paul says, pray at all times. No wonder Paul, Paul had so many revelations and he wrote half of the New Testament. I think praying in tongues had something to do with that. So prayer in tongues should be, should cover most of our prayer time with God, we're building ourselves up. Uh, we, we need to pray in tongues first and, uh, and more than praying in our native language. And that builds us up, that makes, causes us to advance in, in our spiritual lives. Amen? So that's kind of what I wanted to say about prayer and what uh, uh, some of the things and guidelines that are implications of thinking as a new creation. The second area is the area of worship. Let's read 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you were, once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what do we see here? We see that we are a royal priesthood. We are priests, a people for God's own possession. Uh, called to proclaim the virtues of God, the excellences of God. So from this passage, we take, and there, are, there are other passages too. I want to say that the primary purpose of praise and worship unto God, both, perf uh, both personal and with the church, is to minister to God in our role of priests, our role of royal priesthood, and to proclaim His excellence. That's the primary purpose of worshiping God. It's... It, even the word worship, putting worth on God, 
praising God, giving praise to God. To minister to someone means to attend, to care for, to wait on, to nurture, and to serve them. Times of worship should be designed to perform service for the Lord, for our Lord. And it has to do with giving something to God, but not, not to receive something from God. That's a big difference from the Old Testament. When you praise and worship God, you don't expect necessarily to receive something, but you are there primarily to give something to God, regardless of what God gives you. Amen? So you give God, you don't try to get something from God like more anointing or more power or you try to get forgiveness of sin. You already have that. You, or acceptance, trying to get acceptance before God or significance, especially for people that are involved in public ministry, worship leaders or victory. You don't worship God to get a victory. You already have victory. Amen. Those things are already given to you by God in full. You don't need to praise and worship Him just to get things. But in the New Testament, in the new creation, we worship God to give Him glory, to thank Him. Our, our praise and worship should include thanksgiving, celebration, uh, gifts of thanksgiving, and sacrifice of praise. Let's read one more, one more, uh, one more passage. Ephesians 5, 18-20. And do not get drunk with wine, says Paul, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So see, always giving thanks. That's our thanksgiving is primary in worship. We're praising God, thanking Him for what He has done. But a secondary result of worship, and I say it's a secondary, that may happen or may not happen, believers are also stirred up in their spirit. When you worship God, you are stirred up, you are built in your spirit, you are filled with the spirit that this passage says. You are building faith during worship. And also our worship creates a platform of, or an atmosphere in which the Holy Spirit can minister to the hearts of men and women, can change the direction of their lives, and also spiritual gifts can be easier manifested in, the, in an atmosphere of worship, especially prophecy. So these things, all these things happen during worship, but the primary, the first purpose for why we do that is to give God glory, to thank Him for what He has done in Christ, for who He is, to focus on Him. The focus is on Him and not something else. Let's read two more passages that describe the role of priests in the Old Testament and the role of priests in the New. Hebrews 5.1 and Hebrews 13 verse 15. Uh, five one first. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. That was in the Old Testament to give to bring gifts to God and sacrifices for sin. Now in the New Testament, Hebrews thirteen uh, fifteen. Uh, says this, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So now in the New Testament, we as priests, believers as priests, we are to bring gifts of thanksgiving to God and sacrifice of praise. Not sacrifice of sin, but sacrifice of praise to God. The fruit of our lips that gives thanks to His name. Amen? The atmosphere of worship, here is an important thing. The atmosphere of worship 
should always be joyful, should always be a celebratory one, celebration. Uh, even when we sing softer worship song, it's an atmosphere of faith, of joy, of peace. Amen. It should not be a sorrowful, a crying for sins one, a sentimental, a romantic. A lot of worship songs, they are so romantic. And they, uh, there are worship songs that don't even have mentioned the name of Jesus or the Father or the Holy Spirit. But they are ex express a relation of love, even tend to be sensual in some, some words, like touching you, uh, kissing you, th things like that which I'm not against, but they are a little bit overboard. They, are not, they don't express the truth. They don't express the, our relationship with God. So the atmosphere shouldn't be a romantic one, a self-pitied one, but an atmosphere of joy, of celebration. We are there to, to focus on God, to celebrate Him, to celebrate what He has done. And the primary motivation as believers for worshiping God should be unconditional love and nothing else should be as a response of love to God for His love. We, first, we love Him because He first loved us. It should be a response and an answer to the meditation of the Word and to what He has done for us. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what we feel or see, our worship should be an answer to what, an answer of love, a response of love to what He already has done. And that should be done with joy. Now, two more things about uh, our worship that uh, I want to share. John 4, 23 and 24. Let's read it. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks for such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So I want to talk about uh, what is worship in truth and worship in spirit. The lyrics of the songs that we sing uh, need to be based on truth. And a few marks of truth in our songs are the following. I prepared a few marks and I'll give examples of songs that don't express the truth and the reality of the new creation in God. One of the mark of truth in songs in the lyrics is this. Don't ask or beg God for anything in praise and worship. Because He has already given us everything. So we don't need to beg or ask for anything. Like give me this and give me that or make me or do this or do that. Uh, especially for things that have already been given in Christ. Or things that can never be given. Nonsensical. Things that don't make sense. We some, many times ask for things that will never happen. Or things that belong to the past, to the Old Testament mindset. Those things God cannot give you. He cannot do those. And I'll give you a few examples of songs. I prepared a few ones. Uh, the first one is, for instance, Take Me In. There's a song called Take Me In. I think it's uh, written by Petra. And uh, here are a few, few of the verses. Take me past the outer courts into the holy place. What does that mean? Here it talks about the Old Testament temple. In new, as a new creation in Christ, I don't pass. I don't need to pass the outer court. There are no outer courts. There are no. There is no. Uh, I am in the holy of holies all the time in the presence of God. I don't need to pass through different phases of the temple. There is no temple. I have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. There is no temple. I know it. It's used as a metaphor, as a as a comparison, but still, 
I'm not, as a new creation, I'm not doing that. So why saying that? Then, Lord, I want to see your face. You will not see his face while you are on his earth. You cannot ask for that. This is a thing that doesn't make sense. You will see him face to face when you will see him at his second coming in the new earth and a new heaven. <laughs> there are a few people that have seen him face to face, have visions. But usually, why do you say, Lord, I want to see your face when it will never happen? Then uh, from the second verse, I think there's a verse somewhere. I hunger and thirst for your righteousness. That was true for the Old Testament. They hungered and thirst for righteousness. When, and when Jesus said it in the Gospels, hunger, the, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus was before the New Covenant started. He said that before the New uh, the Testament started. The New Testament does not start in Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John were with Jesus' life. The New Testament starts after Jesus' resurrection. So when Jesus said, hunger and first for your for righteousness he was still in the old covenant but now righteousness has come we have become the righteousness of god in christ jesus in the worst case scenario hunger and thirst we can think about hunger and first or desiring to manifest more of that righteousness on the outside but we no longer hunger or first because we have righteousness we have become righteousness everything about us in Christ is righteousness. Amen. And God expects us to walk in righteousness every day. The chorus of the song. Take me into the holy of all. Take me into the holy of holies. We are in the holy of holies. Why should I ask that to God? See what I said. Don't ask or beg God for things that he cannot give you. Or things of the Old Testament. Or things that you already have. I'm already in the holy of holies. Take me, take me in by the blood of the Lamb. We are already in. When we, when we were saved, when we received Christ, we received the blood and we are in the Holy of Holies. Let's take another song. <laughs> I'm, hopefully I won't destroy <laughs> songs that you like, but you are still free to sing that, but they don't express the reality and that they don't help you in any way to renew your mind. Amen. This is the air I breathe. It's a very known song. And the chorus is something like this. And I... I'm desperate for you and I'm lost without you. Now, in what way are you desperate for him? That was in the Old Testament. People had to be desperate for God, for God's mercy to be bestowed and God to show up and God to give them to walk. People were desperate. But, uh, but now he is in you and me. Why are you desperate? Because he's in you and you are with him every second of the day. Why are you, the whole fullness of God is in you, is with you. You just need to believe it and pray and worship. That, that's it. You are, you, you are not desperate. Or, I am lost without you. Why, why would you sing that? Because you will never be without him. It's like, I am lost without my car. But you will not give your car away. I am lost without my wife. But you will not be without your wife. So why would you say, I am lost without you? Because once you're saved, as we talked, you are with him forever. So why wouldn't you say something like, I am everything with you, instead of saying, I'm lost without you. So focusing on the negative, instead of focusing on the positive, or, or the reality, what happened. I am joyful with you. I am blessed because of you. So there are all kinds of ways to say the same thing, but in, in reality. Uh, another song, Days of Elijah. These are the days of Elijah. Declaring the word of the Lord. And these are the days of your servant Moses. Righteousness being restored. And these are the days of Ezekiel. 
And these are the days of your servant David. No, these are the days of Jesus Christ. They are not the days of Ezekiel, not the days of Elijah, not the days of Moses. Because the whole system, the whole interaction between God and people is very different. God interacted with Moses, with Ezekiel, with David, with Elijah in a certain way. And now he deals with us, the new creation, in a different way. Amen? Draw me close to you. It's another song. And uh, the chorus says something like this. Draw me close to you. Never let me go. I lay it all down again to hear you say that I'm your friend. Let's take the first line. Draw me close to you. I'm already close to him. I'm already with him 24-7. He's in me, I am in him. Never let me go. He will never let me go. Why sing never let me go when he will never let me go? Nothing and no one will separate me from the love of the Father. I lay it all down again to hear you say that I'm your friend. What do you mean by lay it down again? Are you doing God a favor just for him to consider you as his friend? Just to say that you are his friend. You are willing to do everything. And secondly, why, why do you need to hear that you are his friend when you are his son? You are in his family. You are his household. I am his son, not a friend. There is also a song, I am a friend of God. Uh, and the chorus says, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. It, it's okay. We can sing it. But every time I sing this chorus, I replace it. I replace it and I sing, I am a son of God. Because it reflects the, the reality much, much better. And it helps me sing with more joy. Because I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. Instead of I am a friend of God. Because we are no longer just friends. We are sons and daughters we were friends before jesus says in one instance i i no longer call you servants i call you friends and that's right they were friends because they were together but after jesus resurrection they came closer than friends they have become brothers jesus is brothers he calls us brethren he calls us brothers and sisters two more examples and i will be done with this blessed be your name it's a very known song blessed be your name of the lord and the the song is okay uh, theologically and doctrinally but there's this bridge that says god you give and take away he gives and take away which is taken from job 121 this is bad theology why because god never takes away even in, in job's case god did not take away the devil took away not god god allowed it but the devil was the one who took the way and the devil is the one taking away what job said was before he knew who really was and who really was behind his trials god does never gives and takes away he only gives and he's not he's not sorry of what he gives and one more creating me a clean heart Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. That was true for David. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord, because he wasn't in his presence. He wasn't in the kingdom of light. He was in darkness. But for us, it's not true. Jesus Christ will never cast us away once we are in Christ. Then take not the Holy Spirit from me. He will never take the Holy Spirit from us because He came to be with us forever. Restore unto me the joy and renew us. So these are a few examples of songs and of, uh, of things that are not doctrinally okay and, the, and how a new creation mindset influences our worship and our lyrics. And what does it mean to have lyrics that express truth? It, it's a worship in truth, in reality. 
Also, another mark of truth is bringing thanksgiving and gratefulness. Worship is a gift to God. That, that means also worshiping in truth, in reality. Another mark of truth. The emphasis should be on who God is as a God of love and a God of mercy, not a God of law and punishment as in the Old Testament. The, folk, the emphasis should be on what He has done on His grace and on what we are now in Christ, the new creation, and not so much on us or on our humanity or or on what we see and feel in the natural or or in the devil we should not focus on the devil in our worship we should not focus on on what we see and feel on how we feel i feel weak i feel broken i feel uh, it has nothing to do with reality even if you feel you're not broken that doesn't mean we don't have songs where we be pour out our hearts before god but the focus should be on what we are in christ and not what we were before coming into christ because it's not relevant. And I'll give you a few, two examples of songs. The Heart of Worship, one is, and says this, there's one verse that says, in, um, Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours. I'm not weak and poor, right? I'm not, even if I feel, or even, I, even if I experience that. In Christ, I'm not weak and poor. And the more I declare and proclaim that, the more I, I, am, I am strong and rich and wealthy. But strong in it, there is no me anymore, but Christ in me, the hope of glory. I cannot talk about me so much anymore because there's no me. Christ is in me. So I cannot say, saying that I am weak and poor, it means saying Christ is weak and poor. Because you are one with Christ. You cannot say those words. I mean, you can say them, but they don't express the reality. Another song, above all, like a rose trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above all. This is a very man-centered lyric. He did not think of us, of you and me, above all. His glory and, uh, and the satisfying of His justice was above me. Isn't that right? So we were certainly not above all. And this thing with the, the rose trampled by the foot, it's nice. But it's, it's a little bit, what I, I said earlier, romantic, a little bit sentimental. Which is fine, but it's not necessarily a thing that doesn't express truth. But the, the thing that I have a problem with is that he thought of me above all. That is not so true. Amen. So this is another example. I, I'm, not, I'm not making rigid rules about this, but we need to check what we sing to make sure that the lyrics that we sing, the songs that we sing are in accordance with what we are right now in Christ, with the new covenant. Another mark of truth. Any brief mention of our fallen human state, we can, we can mention our fallen human state before Christ, but it should be done only in the past tense and for a short time. We should bring back the focus on Christ. Yes, I was this. I'm no longer weak now or broken. I was broken. I was a sinner. I'm no longer a sinner. I cannot say I'm a sinner. I cannot say I'm, I am saved every... I am saved. I was saved. Amen. So every mention of our fallen human state should be done in the past tense, not in the present tense. Another mark of truth. You don't enter the present. I hear all kinds of songs. We enter the present. Let's come in the presence of God. When we come into worship, we don't enter. This is another, another implication of being a new creation. You don't enter in the, the presence of God when you worship or enter through the outer courts of the temple. You are in the presence of God 24-7. 
you are unseparated. When you worship, you just become more aware of being in His presence with your mind. And the presence manifests more, more because of your awareness. It is your awareness and your mind's perception of reality that changes. And because of that, faith changes, faith increases. And because of that, the presence, you feel the presence more tangible and the presence of God is more overwhelming. So it's not, you're not entering and going out of the presence of God. I just wanted, this is an important thing. Another thing, a mark of truth about spiritual warfare. We don't do spiritual warfare through worship. All the spiritual warfare has been finished and done 2,000 years ago, right? There are no spiritual strongholds in the atmosphere to be broken down through worship. The only strongholds that the Bible talks about are in the mind of the believer. Not strongholds in the air, in the atmosphere, and trying to bind and things like that in worship. In the Old Testament, people had to fast and pray and worship in order to have victories in war. And I, I explained why. Because they didn't have a right to victory. But we have all the victories in Christ assured without any conditions. And it's a done deal. There's no fight there between light and darkness. The only fight is in, in our mind. When we realize the truth, we realize the victory, it's a done deal. Amen? So these are a few marks about worshiping in truth in reality. These are a few signs, a few things that we should, uh, we should take into consideration. And now I want to talk about worship brought by the Spirit, in the Spirit. What it means. Uh, and, and the list is not, it doesn't cover everything, just a few things. The worshiping in the Spirit means allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you in choosing the songs you sing and depend on Him every step of the way. This is especially for worship leaders because I am a worship leader too. And, I, uh, uh, and especially for worship leaders, I'm saying that. Be sensitive to His voice, to the voice of the Holy Spirit because this is something you bring to God and you bring it by the Spirit of God. Jesus Christ says, Jesus Christ gave His life by the Spirit. So everything we do to God, to our Father, our ministry to the Father should be through the Spirit. Not what we think He likes, not what we we want what we desire, but what the Holy Spirit wants. Also, uh, worshiping the Spirit means preparation and excellence, uh, especially for bands or for worship teams that prepare. That is a thing of the Spirit, to prepare and to do your best in presenting a gift of excellence to the Father. And that will help other peoples also, the people of the congregation, to engage much easier when the songs are prepared and uh, there is a flow, a smooth flow between the songs. Also, think about uh, uh, both you and as a worship and people that worship God. Think about the lyrics that you sing while you worship God. Think to the think about the lyrics. Make sure you believe them. You put faith in them with all your heart, and add feeling and enthusiasm to those words that that spring forth. These feelings spring forth out of faith and not out of human positivism or out of optimism or out of. Or, uh, out of your will. Allow the lyrics, allow the things that you sing to stir up faith and stir up enthusiasm and rejoice. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. Be, be very involved in the moment with all your being. That's what it means to be, to worship through the Spirit. Also, allow for free songs to come out of your, out of your spirit in your native tongues or in spiritual tongues in between songs. Not just songs, but allow the Spirit. Allow things of your spirit, things that come to your spirit in your native tongue, in, in, in 
spiritual tongues and praise God, worship God freely with everything that comes, whatever comes through your mouth from the Spirit. So that kind of means to me to worship in the Spirit. Of course, there are probably there are other things too. So that was about worship. We discussed about prayer, worship, and now we have uh, three more which are shorter. So the third area of our spiritual life that is affected in, uh, and the new creation mindset has implication is fasting. Believers in the new covenant as new creation, they don't fast in order to get more power from God or get more anointing from God, you are anointed with an anointing that abides. The new creation is anointed. In Hebrew says that. You are anointed with an anointing that abides forever. You have the fullness of the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit without measure. So uh, you don't fast to get more power, to get more anointing, or to convince God to do something in your favor or to heal somebody. You don't need fasting to heal somebody. That was true in the Old Testament again, in the Old Covenant. Because people were unclean, they were in death, they were in darkness. And they needed to separate themselves unto God so that God could move from the, through them. So that the Holy Spirit could come temporarily on them and to move, do a task, do a ministry. And then the Holy Spirit will go away. So people had to, to humble themselves, to clean themselves as much as they could. And God gave specific laws how to clean themselves, how to clean their bodies, how to clean their, their souls, how to, to fast, how to, to humble and to prepare for a work of God, to prepare for the presence of God, to prepare for the temple. When they went to the temple, when the priest went inside, he could not come up. It, it would have been possible if the priest was unclean, he could have died in the Holy of Holies. There was only one, the high priest going there, I think once a year, if I'm not mistaken. And if he wasn't clean enough, uh, he would come out dead. So that was a different different system. And uh, there, that's no longer true in the, no, in the New Testament. So in the New Covenant, fasting is for ministering to the Lord, for developing self-control and discipline and healthy habits. Fasting is for being built in faith yourself. You build yourself in faith. And what else? Fasting is for increased, four things, for increased sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Spirit, especially involving important decisions in your life or the life of a community in church. When you fast, your spirit becomes more alert. The Holy Spirit can speak to you much easier. You receive easier. So that's a, probably there are other reasons uh, in the new creation, but these are, were a few things that I found for fasting. The fourth area is reading the Word, where, where we have implications of a new creation. How and why we read the Word as a new creation. You don't, we don't read the Word to learn the moral laws and remember them, or ethics, and then try to remember them, obey them, and implement them in our lives. That is not renewal of the mind. It's included in the renewal, but that's not the actual renewal of the mind. We read the Word of God to learn about the new creation. The Word of grace, the Word of God is the manual of the new creation. We read to learn about the new creation, about who we are in Christ, about our identity in Christ, about the gospel. So that's the primary reason. And even when we read in the Old Testament, we can spot typologies, things pertaining to Christ. Things pertaining to the, the Old Testament is a shadow of the New Testament. So we can still be encouraged. We can still take things of the gospel from the Old Testament. We can still learn 
some things of life from Proverbs, from, Proverbs, from Songs of Song, from Ecclesiastes. So we don't cancel the Old Testament, but we just change the light, the perspective. The, everything now that we read, even in the Old Testament, we should read it in the light of the New Testament. I'll give you an example. In the Psalms, many times it says the righteous, the, in Proverbs, the wage of the righteous is life. Now, when I read that, who is the righteous? In the Old Testament, the righteous was considered people that humbled themselves, that believed God. But in the New Testament, we are really the righteousness of God. So that means I'm always righteous. That means my wage is life. So always my wage will be life. It's not like for temporary periods like in Old Testament. Uh, what other example? Like even the covenant with Abraham talks about Christ, talks about the seed of Christ, or about sacrifices, about explains Jesus' sacrifice, and all kinds of these things, the prophetic, they should be interpreted in the light of the New Testament, in the light of the gospel. Then what else about the word? We don't read the word of God just to fulfill a discipline and to trust in that discipline, to brag about this, that discipline. I read the word every day. It doesn't do anything to you if you read it just for the sake of discipline. That we should discipline ourselves, but not that's not the primary reason for reading the Word. So we don't read the Word just to fulfill a discipline or to pay our dues to God so that things would go well with us or to appease God or to feel spiritual, but to build ourselves up in faith and to build confidence so that we would be able to exercise faith in the circumstances of life, in blessing people, and to see results. To, to prove the Word of God, to prove the good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God in every area of our life. That's why we renew our mind. That's the primary purpose of reading the, the Word, to renew our mind. So being to be transformed by the renewal of our mind, Romans 12, 2, so that we would prove the will of God. In regards to healing, in regards to holiness, in regards to your character, in regards to your prosperity, in regards to blessing, in regards to everything that God is. We are to prove for ourselves and for other people the will of God. In that light, uh, we use the reading of to grow in faith and to make exploits for the kingdom of God. So we don't read the, the word of God for God's sake primarily, but for our sake. God has given us the word of His grace to build us up so that we will enter in the inheritance. Acts 20 verse 32, I think, says, I commend, I commend you to, to God and to the word of His grace that is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance in the saints, to make you enter in the inheritance that we talked about. So that's the about reading the word. A few guidelines of the new creation, how to read the word. And the fifth area is about giving. Uh, how does the new creation mindset influence the area of giving? We don't give tithes and offerings to be more blessed. I know that it's a lot. It's used a lot in churches. You are not more blessed if you give. You have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing. So you don't give to be more blessed. You don't give to avoid curse. The curse from Malachi. Try me, says the Lord. And if you don't give, uh, that's why you have the lock. That's why you're cursed because you, 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 rob, you rob God, you rob the temple. That's no longer true for the new creation. You don't give to avoid curse. You can never be cursed. Uh, but you, uh, you give because you were already blessed. 
And because that is God's nature to give and heart, that is His desire for us to give our tithes, to give tithes to the church, to advance the kingdom and to have things so that the kingdom of God would advance. So it is done out of love for Him and His kingdom and is not as a pressure or a condition for something to be blessed or to avoid curse. It is out of your heart, out of your love for Him. It's for advancing the kingdom. And I am a tither. I tithe. So, and you should tithe. It's tithe is a thing of a New Testament. And I'll discuss in detail when I talk in the series about prosperity. I'll talk about finances. I'll talk about tithing and giving in details. So tithing is a, is a thing of the New Testament. But the motivation for tithing should be love. Exactly as, as in holiness, as in healing the sick, as in everything. Love for God, love for people, love for His kingdom, not for myself to be blessed or to avoid curse. The law of sowing and reaping, which is very used uh, in this area of giving to compel people to give, is an earthly law working for anybody, both unbelievers and believers in Christ. And it is inferior to the law of faith in Christ. It works. Yes, it works. If you give, if you plant seeds of orange, you'll get orange. It works. If you, if you plant money, if you give money, if you offer money to people, you will reap money back because that's the law which works in the universe. In the, it's an earthly law. And it's a, like exactly as you, everything you sow, you reap something in any area of life. Okay. But in the area of giving, the law of faith is superior. So you can use that law. It will work. You will reap more money. Amen. But that doesn't mean that you are more blessed because if you use your faith, you could get, uh, you could go get those blessings to manifest even much more than you're reaping. It supersedes your reaping. But sometimes it's easier, it's easier for us to believe in the law of sowing and reaping than believing in the blessings that God has given us already in the earthly, in the heavenly places. And that's what I encourage you. So I'm not canceling the law of sowing. That works. It should not be used as a reason for us to give. It's a, it's a wrong motivation. In Christ, even if you don't give, and this is a hard saying, and a lot of people maybe listening would not be able to take it at first. But if you think of it, and if you listen to, if you have listened carefully to what I've shared so far, in Christ, even if you don't give or sow, you still have the same blessings available. I'll say that even in Christ, even if you don't give or so, you still have the same blessings. You're still blessed in Christ. You can never, you're still blessed in Christ. The problem is when you don't give, you don't experience those blessings, not because you didn't sow and because of that you don't reap. You don't experience that because it's very hard for you to have faith in anything when you don't give at all because you you trust yourself in your money you trust yourself in everything you have too much to be able to trust in something that's invisible you, you get that point so it's not the fact that you don't sow uh, the reason why you're not more blessed but it's mainly because when you don't give at all and you're stingy it's very hard for you to have faith in christ also so because not having faith, you cannot make those blessings from the heavenly places to manifest in your life. So giving basically builds you in faith because when you're free, you give because you believe 
what God has already given you. You believe with all your heart, that's why you give. You give because God instructed us to do so and that's something of His heart, it's something of His nature, exactly like holiness, like sanctification. It's something that is, is in God's heart. It's something that He desires, He wants. Then about curse, you can never be cursed once you are in Christ because Christ took every curse. He took the curse of the law. So Malachi, which was in the law, during the law, does not apply to the new creation. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, from any type of curse. And now because you are, this helps me a lot in every area when I have doubts. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. Now I, I want to ask you something. Does Christ need to sow in order to reap blessings? Of course not. He's blessed forever. He has everything. Everything is, 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 is His. And you are in Him. So if He doesn't need to sow, then you also don't need to sow. Although we do it. But that's not the source of our blessings. Does Christ need to give God to avoid curse? Can Christ ever be cursed? Of course not. That means you will never be cursed. You don't need to give God to avoid curse. You are, are already free of any curse, free of generational curses, free of any curse, even if you don't give. And that's relieving. That brings us freedom and peace so that our true heart, the heart of God can be expressed without any constraints or threats. You see, these two main motivations that are used to convince people to give to God the first one is to be blessed. It's like the carrot. <laughs> it's for yourself. It's basically you, you give for you to be blessed. Uh, and it's not, a, it's, it's not the correct motivation. The second one, if the, the motivation of blessing doesn't work, then we apply the curse thing, the threat. If you don't give, you're cursed before God. But you can, we can never be cursed. That's the truth. Uh, however, if you believe in that, if you believe in Malachi, even as a new creation, it will manifest in your life because... Even, even if your faith is negative, it will work. It will manifest, although the reality is that you can never be cursed. And the last thing I want to say here is that any condition, any if, to be blessed or to have favor of God is a purely Old Testament way of thinking. In Christ, everything, every, and I mean everything in every area of life comes by faith alone, by grace through faith without any conditions. Amen. And I want to close here. I already went too long. I hope with all my heart that you have been blessed by this series. And I, I hope that you got a glimpse and a grasp of my heart. And if I, I, I offended anyone through my words, through my teaching, I am not perfect. I'm willing to repent. I'm willing to, to uh, ask for forgiveness and to change. Uh, because in this, in this area of teaching, there is a high and there is a great responsibility. And I'm aware of that. And I always pray to the Holy Spirit because this is a great task. This is a, a high responsibility and I don't take it lightly. And, I, and I'm willing to change in anything. But this is the revelation. This is the understanding that I got at this point by the Holy Spirit, by listening to other people of God, to sermons, to teaching, to by meditating on the Word, by going to Bible schools. This is where I am right now, and I'm sure that I that there are new revelations that I will receive that uh, by which I will have to change some of the things. But I encourage you to come to God and to have an open heart and take whatever is good from this series. Don't throw away everything. Let's be mature people. Let's have a critical thinking. Take what is good 
and throw away what you think is not good, what you think doesn't build you up. Paul said the Holy Spirit will convince us of if, if we need to be convinced in an area, He will convince us. Let's give time to the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's not be rushed in our judgment and in criticizing. Amen. I encourage you to do that. And let's pray before we end. Father, I thank you so much that you have given us so much grace throughout this series, throughout this teaching. And I, I thank you that you have blessed us. Thank you that for your Holy Spirit that teaches us. And we don't need necessarily other teachers around people, but the Holy Spirit teaches us all things, all truth. He is the Spirit of truth. And I thank you that you lead us into all truth. And we can rest assured, we can be confident that even if we go through uh, temporary periods of mistakes or things that we understand wrong. I thank you that in the end, by your Holy Spirit, you will bring us to truth. You will lead us into all truth. And I thank you, Father, that I can have peace and we can have peace. And I pray that you'd help us, Father, to walk from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from victory to victory, and, and to honor you and proclaim your virtues, your excellences in everything we do. Father, we want to honor you. We want to love you with everything we do out of a heart of love, without constraints, without fret without conditions father we thank you for your presence and i pray that the presence of the holy spirit will overwhelm will be poured out on, on, on everyone who listens to this teaching and that you would bring you'll build them up in faith to to make exploits to advance the kingdom of god on this earth i thank you for all these things in the name of jesus and by the power of the holy spirit amen be blessed until the next years and when we uh, we meet again i pray that you would be blessed in all areas of your life amen